Welcome to the third episode of Unfiltered, where we invite two experts to discuss a current topic over coffee. In this episode, we ask Professor Kieran Trahan, Director of WeLead, and Andy Lee, Strategic Lead for Diversity in Business at NatWest. Why do we need more female CEOs? So I love this notion that we ought to have an equal balance. I heard that conversation five years ago, I heard that conversation 10 years ago, and I heard that conversation when I first started, you know, um, in industry, oh, we need more kind of women in leadership positions. And I just sit and think, gosh, 20 years later, and here I am reflecting and having the same conversation with you again. It's unbelievable when you actually think about it. You know, if you look at the world of politics, we're now seeing more women, you know, running countries and being in cabinet positions, but you know, companies across the globe and especially the UK just don't seem to have taken that sort of next step really in terms of, you know, having women as CEOs of the organisations. But I wonder what's happening kind of institutionally, because if you look at what's going on in the world, you know, and there's all this talk about having, um, I guess, responsible leadership, you know, we look at the political climate, we look at the economic, we look at the cultural, and there's so much great press about women's contribution. So I wonder why, you know, the figure is still so low. I don't know whether that's organisational culture or, you know, is it investors not putting enough pressure on the organisations? Because you'd expect to see it, you know, when you look at organisations at lower levels, they tend to have that gender parity. And then as you go through into senior management and then sort of the, the executives, it just seems to, to, to drop off. That's a really good point you make because, you know, recently I did um, a very big piece of work, you know, for, for the West Midlands Combined Authority and Andy Street and the Leadership Commission. And those statistics stack up to what you're saying, that actually there was um, some really talented females and diversity of females in lower to middle management positions. But then if you look at the top tier, they're almost notable for their, their kind of absence. So I wonder what choices they make um, and whether it really is a pipeline crisis or whether women are choosing not to kind of step up. Yeah, I think, you know, when you read about it, there's lots of excuses made around, you know, women not wanting to make the choices. But actually, it's, I would say a lot of it's down to those hiring managers or, you know, the executive recruiters. Are they being incentivised to ensure that there is that gender parity? Or are they just picking from, you know, the club of people that they, they know? I think the research shows that's exactly it, Andy, because, I mean, it, look, you know, just look at those wonderful top ten excuses for why there aren't enough women on board. And, you know, my favourite one was um, because we've got one woman, so, you know, that's our job done. And when I read that, I just remember thinking, are they really serious? Do they really believe because they've got one woman, that's the job done? Or, actually, I bore don't feel the need for it you know that was the the kind of other one or that women don't want to um, and really I think we need to kind of rethink the way that we look at um, this lack of diversity at the kind of very top and I'm really struck by how easy it is to make 101 and excuses and almost push the problem back on it's the it's it's the female it's the women making those decisions when actually, very often, an institutional and a business, this infrastructure, you know, talks a great story, but then if you look at its processes, it doesn't match those. 
I think you know it needs to be a sort of a holistic solution for the organisation. Mm-hmm. You can't just you know maybe bring in sort of senior women from outside organisations. It needs mm-hmm. to be done sort of from the bottom. <clears throat> so you need to have that pipeline of sort of talent coming all the way through the organisation. You know when you look at the statistics, it shows that when organisations have that diversity of thought around the board table, they're more successful. And I think we need to sort of start looking at the language that we're using around having you know, women in CEO positions or those sort of executive positions as well. And it should be more about the right choice for the business and the customers that they serve. Because you know, if you look at the UK, it's 50-50 split on gender. Now, why isn't that seen sort of through businesses as well? I really like that point you make because it always makes me smile when I read that. And I think time and time and time again, um, because I kind of research in this area, I'm always asked, do women make better CEOs than men? And my response is almost, um, or my reaction back to you is that actually that's the wrong question because every time we do that, we're just polarising the position. It isn't a question of is one better than the other. It's about kind of asking ourselves, what do the businesses of the future need and what do the businesses of the future look like so they are reflective of the communities they serve, of their customer bases, And I do think women bring um, a richness and a diversity of thinking. I think they have a skill set that is much needed, you know, in current business climates like emotional intelligence. And every time I talk about emotional intelligence, people say, oh, yeah, yeah, women are more emotional. Well, that's not emotionally intelligent. Emotionally intelligent means that they have the capacity to do something called collective leadership, you know, draw others in, have innovative thinking while still being able to manage, you know, the harder things, you know, like the books and the finances. And the research has proven that time and time and time again. You know, the very few CEOs that we do have are winning in terms of contracts, business um, and retaining talent and also um, producing a future pipeline of talent. So I think all of that is really, really kind of innovative. So that richness and that diversity of thinking Now, I'm not saying men don't bring that. I think men bring a whole, you know, unique set of skills. It's how the two work collectively together that I think is really important. I mean, if you look at sort of the 30% club in terms of, you know, the FTSE 100 agreeing to bring in at least 30% of their boards as as women, I think, you know, as we're seeing some of those organisations move towards that, and there are a few sort of on the FTSE that have moved above it, you know, it then brings that parity around the board. Um, but one of the things I've always sort of thought is when a woman gets into a CEO position, mm-hmm. is she under more pressure um, and more sort of, you know, gaze from the outside world than if it was a man going into, into that position? I sometimes do feel that, um, that that is the case. I mean, do you feel that yourself? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you raised two really important points for me. Um, and they always make me think, you know, when you when you talk about things like that. So let me just take the first one, you know, this notion of are they under more increasing pressure and the one about, you know, um, policies. You know, do policies actually make a difference? Um, And I guess I'm a little bit on the fence on that one because, you know, policy and governance is important, but that feels so reactive. Do I think it's all doom and gloom and depressing? No, I don't. I think what we're doing now is at least having an open and an honest and a frank discussion about, well, actually, do those policies work? So I think it's great saying, you know, we ought to have more women on boards and, you know, we ought to be doing things in terms of our recruitment processes and our pipelines. 
but when you look inside the business, that's much harder to kind of um, see. And then the answer to your second you know, point, um, do I think they're under more pressure? Of course they are. You know, they're in short supply. Where are their support networks, you know, as part of that? And very often they end up having to um, perform like their male counterparts because that's what they think is kind of needed. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword, really, in terms of developing your own distinctive style and presence, because that's why you got the job, but then also needing to fit in with the culture, which is probably kind of very male-dominated and has been... Um, and I love this phrase, you know, um, CEOs like me, because there was a lot of that, you know, that's what people do. You know, when they start recruiting, no matter what we say, we end up recruiting like what we already have. When I think of CEOs of organisations that I look up to, you've got Carolyn McCall at ITV and then Sasha Romanovich at Grant Thornton. Now, you know, I guess from your perspective, what's different either in those organisations or with, with those women that have enabled them, you know, to get to sort of the top, I guess, from the research perspective, mm. because those organisations are absolutely thriving. I think that both of those are, are, are really great examples because although we've been talking about it, it all sounds doom and gloom, you know, there are some incredibly talented females, you know, at the very top, and you've just highlighted two of those. And I think what's really interesting and distinctive, which is backed up by the researchers, is the values that they hold and how true they stay to those values. So they change um, and disrupt institutions in taking those roles, but bring a richness of diversity, both in their thinking and in the way they you know, develop others. One of the key things that came out of that piece of research that we talked about earlier was the lack of role models. And these are high profile women um, and they're in the media and they're in the news. So I think that's really positive. But I think alongside that, you also need what I call um, everyday ordinary women. Because I guess when you see individuals like that, I wonder how many women think um, I can aspire to that or I can be like that. So I'd be really interested to hear, you know, what made them successful? You know, what were the routes and the pipelines that opened for them? Because again, you know, the research that I've done and others have done, have highlighted when you have networks and critical friends and supporters along the way, then actually it makes that so much easier and more inviting, you know, to be able to, I guess, compete at those kinds of levels. You know, throughout my sort of career, I've on I'd say over seventy percent of my managers sort of throughout the bank have been have been women and all and parts of the bank that I've worked in have been led by women as well. Um, I never sort of look at it in terms of whether one is better than the other. Mm. Um, what I do find, though, is that it tends to be sort of very mission and value-led um, when it's a when it's a female in charge. And you know, I mentioned sort of Sasha earlier, and you know, when you look at a lot of the interviews that she does, it's very much about the ethos and the values of the organisation. Mm. And I think sometimes the conversations are slightly different. Mm. And that's really critical, and it's certainly critical to the next generation of young female leaders. You know, they're making a real clear statement that they want to work and be part of organisations that have a sense of responsibility. And then there's something that's really quite taboo, and I wonder how much we talk about it, and, and that's kind of um, 
children and career breaks, you know, because if you looked at some of the excuses as to why women didn't make it into those top positions, it almost implied is they were making those choices because they have career breaks that they can't then climb, you know, the organisational ladder. So I'd wondered, you know, from your experience, you know, what your perceptions are about women taking career breaks and the kind of hindrance or opportunities it presents for them when they return. I think it's really difficult, um, you know, if you're an individual and you want to have a family, having kids shouldn't take you out of the, you know, I guess the competition sort of for, for promotion. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the statistics, it, it is showing that. But, you know, one of the things that, that we're trying to do, so we have what we call the Male Allies Programme. So, you know, part of our role is, you know, supporting people all the way through, but also, you know, when it comes to things like um, sort of children taking shared parental leave, you know, how many organisations actually, there's a process for it, but how many organisations are really pushing it in there sort of to say to their men, well, you know, have you thought about taking shared parental leave? Mm. Um, and I think some of that is around understanding the difficulty you know if you're away for two weeks it's just like being on holiday isn't it mm. you come back and you can pick the emails up and and it's not too difficult mm. but if you've been off for six months and you then start to understand actually organizations move on you know you look at innovation and the way that companies are moving six months is a huge amount of time in, in the world of work mm. and i just think it needs to be at, not just at board level, but all the way through in terms of hiring managers and, and line managers as well. They need to be supportive for their staff, but they need to make sure that there's equality. Because I think when you have equality at home, you'll then also start to have sort of equality in the office as well. Mm. So I think one of the things you know I would say to people is if you have the opportunity, then why don't you take that shared parental mm. leave and, and maybe some sort of, you know start to understand what it's like on the other side. I think my challenge is always, but what are we doing? And by we, I mean, you know, you and I, because we each have a role to play to influence and, you know, create, maintain and disrupt institutions to affect kind of change. So I think if I was shaping and designing, you know, um, the future, I would be saying things like compliance and legislation are really critical and important because that manages the governance. But if you want imagination and flair and institutional change, then we have to change perception. We have to change mindsets. And we do that by um, something I call critical by design. So disrupting by design for enhancement. And so we need to kind of think about culture. We need to think about values. And we need to kind of think about the next generation. Because very often when we talk about um, leaders and CEOs of tomorrow, they're not going to be the likes of you and me. They're going to be that next generation of young people in our schools. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's that place to disrupt in the workplace, um, but also this is about society as well. And I think we have to hold the mirror up to ourselves because, as you said, you know, I'd like to think that I'm young, but the future CEOs are that next generation. Mm. Um, and we need to make sure that, you know, in 10 years' time, you know, they're coming out of the, edu the schooling system knowing that they are going to be the next CEO, not asking, is it a possibility? It's almost sort of leaving education, university, apprenticeships. So saying, yeah, that, that's exactly what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and having those positive role models is, is really important. And you know, it's, it's 100 years um, sort of since women got the vote. And I think the last thing we need is to be in 10 years time sort of looking and saying, well, it's still 7% and there's still more Dave's or Stevens as CEOs um, than, than there are women.
if we look, you know, purely from a, an economic point of view, a social point of view and a business point of view, the arguments are compelling and the evidence is compelling. You know, if we don't change, then actually those businesses won't survive. So it's as clear cut as that, you know, sort of for me. Um, there's work to be done at a generational level, but there's also work to be done, you know, here and now so that we're not waiting for um, the next generation to kind of change things. And then, you know, it's my three P's really. If you're going to make a difference, you have to be passionate about this agenda. You have to be persuasive but most of all you've got to be kind of persistent because without that persistence I guess it's just all too easy um, to give up or like those top 10 excuses is to say our board doesn't need it, women don't want it and we've just got one. That's just not good enough. For additional content on this episode visit www.birmingham.ac.uk forward slash unfiltered three.